Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Sarah Thompson. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I realized the other day that March is endometriosis awareness month and it's something that's quite close to my heart, partly because I suspect that at least one of my daughters may have endometriosis, but also because it goes in that whole thing. I actually had pelvic mesh put in about 12 years wow. ago and then had to have three major operations to remove the pelvic mesh. And this whole women's health issue is something that I'm quite passionate about. So welcome and thanks for coming Thank on you. today because this is something that we need to educate ourselves about, isn't it? Absolutely. When I saw your call for people to speak about endometriosis, I just jumped at the chance because I'm really passionate about sharing my story in the hope that we can help other women have a better journey than what I've had. Yeah, let's start there because I spoke to Gabrielle Jackson in October and she is the author of a book called Pain and Prejudice and she's an endometriosis sufferer as well and it took her 10 years to get diagnosed and she said that's about average yes <laughs> I was about to say the average is nine years in Australia that's the official statistic is nine years and um, I would love that to be less <laughs> why does it take so long to be diagnosed? so hang on let's go back another step yeah tell me what endometriosis is Oh, okay, great. Uh, now, we should just say that I am an endometriosis um, sufferer and I'm not a medical doctor. So I want to just be really clear about that. But I feel like I could probably write a book on endometriosis because of my lived experience. So what endometriosis is that when the um, when you have a period and you menstruate and the lining of your womb, the endometrium sheds and it sheds out of your body like a normal period. For women with endometriosis, they have endometrium growing outside of their uterus. So it grows inside their abdomen. And then when you have your normal period, it sheds into your abdomen and with nowhere to go, you end up with lots of cysts. And for many women, there are four stages of endometriosis, stage one through four. And depending on the extensiveness of where the endometrium is spread throughout your body, you'll be classified as one, two, three or four. Now, I had stage four, which means that it had spread to other organs like my bowel and my bladder. And that just all ups the pain ante. It's a really insidious disease because it's very hard to diagnose because women have painful periods and that's what we're conditioned to believe. So when you have painful periods yourself, I still remember I was 15. So I got my period when I was 13, which is pretty normal. And by the time I was 15 and I was in excruciating pain every month and to the point where my mum, who'd never suffered any kind of period problems, was just unsure if maybe I was, maybe just so I just had a really pain, low pain threshold, which is very rarely the case with people with endometriosis. We become very tolerant to pain. But she ended up taking me to, we lived in a country, in country Western Australia. And so the GPs are typically like a thousand years old. I'm sorry to say that. And so they're not necessarily up to date with everything. So we went because my mum had spoken to another parent as we do, and they suggested that I go on the pill. And that seemed like a good option. So that we went to this GP 
GP and um, asked for the pill because of my painful periods and which he prescribed, which was great, but no further inquiry was ever done. And so that was the start of my journey. I was about 15, 16, and I wasn't diagnosed until I was 27. What other steps did you go through on the route to being diagnosed in that time? Did it get any better? Did it no, <laughs> no. In that time, of course, you're becoming a, a woman and an adult. And so I like lived overseas um, for quite long periods of time. And I used to, because in those days, I feel like I'm really old, I'm approaching 50. So in those days, you could get really good pain medication over the counter, both here and in the UK. So you could get codeine-based pain medication. And I would dread to think what I've done to my kidney and liver in terms of taking so much over-the-counter strong pain medication And because you'd go and see a doctor and they would put you on a higher dose pill and then they would try other, no one ever asked me if I thought something else was going on. And people just thought, and I'd love to read my doctor's notes that I'd seen over the years because um, I was so fobbed off. And I only, when I was at university, I, I was struggling so much. I think I was 19 or 20 at this point. And I just went and I just said, I can't take this anymore. I can't cope. I'm not coping. And I was given an ultrasound. And the person who was doing the ultrasound obviously had no experience with endometriosis and told me as a 19-year-old that they thought I was pregnant, and which is a terrifying thought because you're 19, a middle of degree and things. And as it turned out, it was just that I had such thick lining of my uterus because I had all this buildup of endometrium outside of my uterus. And so they looked at it and drew one conclusion instead of going, you have a very thick lining of your uterus, this because could be because of A, B and C. Nobody did any of that. So it was only when I was living in Sydney and I was about 26, 27, and I was suffering such chronic pain that I was blacking out. So I was losing consciousness from pain. And so you would, these things would happen and you would wake up in an ambulance or wake up in hospital. And when that starts to happen, people finally take you seriously that this pain must be so severe that this needs to be investigated. And by that point, I thought I probably had terminal cancer. Like I just thought I'm dying. I'm, I'm struggling so much with pain. My, my whole abdomen is in so much pain. I'm sure I've got something really serious and I've probably got months to live. So when I was actually diagnosed, because my GP in Sydney then pushed for I think I remember the MRI or a CT, but they did a whole scan of my abdomen. And by that point, I think it had 47 cysts, which is a sign of endometriosis because that's all of the endometrium just having nowhere to go. So he took that seriously and took those steps that finally got diagnosed. And that's quite unusual, again, because women just keep suffering on for years and years without anyone taking you seriously, I think. And I'd like to think things are different now. I know that my experience with my current GP is wonderful, but I'm diagnosed. So I have evidence to say this is my problem. And so that's very helpful. But if you're undiagnosed, trying to get that diagnosis is the hardest step. Why is it so difficult to get diagnosed with endometriosis? Surely (laughs) if you've got a thick line into your uterus, shouldn't that (laughs) ring an alarm bell? How do they actually diagnose endometriosis? So it's typically only diagnosed through surgery, which is hideous in and of itself. And um, the University of Queensland is currently working on a blood test to diagnose because they're looking for genetic markers. And so that is currently that research is underway. And hopefully that will make it a lot easier for women because the thought of going under the knife to get a diagnosis is quite awful. And there's not many illnesses that have that kind of diagnostic tool. Most illnesses can be diagnosed with other tools endometriosis will show up on things like ultrasounds and particularly vaginal ultrasounds where they put the the you know the ultrasound wand inside you it will show up to some degree but that proper diagnosis usually takes surgery 
And the cysts that form, because where I went with that is they can do an amniocentesis to get into the womb. Why can't they do an amniocentesis to get into the rest of your body and pull out some fluid? (laughs) I'm not a doctor, but I will just say that it feels like one of one of the big things. And I'll try not to go on a rant, but endometriosis is more common than type one diabetes. And yet I've got two teenage sons in the school system. And unfortunately, in Australia, we still don't even teach it as part of our curriculum. We don't teach it in health studies and we don't teach it in human biology. And yet we teach diabetes. Every kid knows what diabetes is and it's so uncommon. So that's the first start of why people aren't diagnosed is because no one has an awareness that this disease exists. And that's the first problem. And the second problem is it only affects half of the population, i.e. women. And women's health has always been swept under the carpet as a by and large rule. The medical profession is dominated by men who have a lack of insight into being a woman. And then it keeps going on and on because the biggest problem is the lack of funding. In Australia, endometriosis receives one eighth of the funding that diabetes research receives and yet it's as common and so all of those research like getting a diagnostic tool that's not surgery and finding treatment and finding what's causing it and finding a cure none of those things will happen without research funding sorry I'm very ranty no I was going to say you can rant away because I'm getting that book that Gabrielle Jackson did and all the research she did pointed to the same thing and Mm. my experience when I went for my last operation to have the pelvic mesh removed and I obviously being Australia you have to go to your GP and you get a referral to a specialist and I said to my GP who was a former surgeon this blah 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 had this pelvic mesh put in it's causing me all sorts of problems need it removed had two operations he said and he sat back and he said This is completely off the record, so I'm not going to mention his name. But can I ask you, was the gynecologist that put the pelvic mesh in a man? And I said, yeah. And he started laughing. He said, they've got the worst reputation among surgeons, male gynecologists, for just having a go at things and seeing how it goes. Mm. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm not a... It's, It's awful to think, but in some ways... Because of the recent understanding and diagnosis, I appreciate that a lot of the way in which we're treated is still considered experimental. And we have to accept that that's, that's the way it goes. But I'd like to be informed of that. <laughs> so I've been in a clinical trial here in Western Australia and I had informed consent. So the issue isn't being used as a guinea pig or on experimental treatments. The issue is informed consent. And you clearly didn't have that. No, not at all. Not at all. And it went wrong. The pelvic mesh went wrong within a few weeks. Literally. They're not they have an appalling reputation, pelvic meshes. Whenever I hear someone speak of them, I shudder because they they just sound like I'm wondering who came up with that concept and why on earth we still allow that type of surgery in Australia. Yeah, it shouldn't be the I found out a few weeks ago the makers of the pelvic mesh told the medical profession that this was not to be used in warm, moist environments. Mm. Can't think of a warmer or moister environment, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> no. So yeah, it's, yeah, I've heard nothing but bad things about this. I'm unsurprised by your experience, I have to be honest, unfortunately. So yeah. So how does endometriosis impact your life apart from the pain? And I want to talk to you about the pain management program as well, because I've been yeah. one of those two. Yes. And they are um, amazing. And it's incredible how many people don't know 
that they're available because they are in most of the states in Australia. Yes, amazing. And to be fair, I spent a long time here in Perth having no awareness of the pelvic pain clinic that existed in the public health system. So in terms of how does endometriosis affect your life, it's the pain because the pain is all encompassing. So the pain initially starts around your period when you're menstruating and then that endometrial tissue is flooding into your abdomen with nowhere to go. So the pain will initially start with painful periods typically, and then it just expands out. So by the time I was diagnosed, I was in constant pain. Um, and that was to do with the extensive amount of cysts and also the fact that they had developed so much that my ovaries were touching it's called kissing ovary syndrome Um, and that's I can't even describe how painful that is because that's what causes you to in be in such pain have such a massive impact and as I'm sure you had as your conversation with the pain I've forgotten her name sorry (laughs) pain becomes something that you either have or you're afraid of having And so it impacts your life constantly because you think I'm having a good day and you try and be optimistic and you think it's going to be okay. And then you live in fear of if I say I'm going out with friends, what if I become in pain and I want to go home? What if I don't? I would just say no, and I'm not going to go out. So it becomes something like this bloody abusive relationship that you're in with this horrible pain (laughs) that just torments you. Sometimes they're nice and sometimes they're dreadful. And um, sometimes you think it's going to be a good day and it's not. I just feel like, again, there's not enough research done into pain and the impacts on your life. And I look back at my journey now, now that I have much stronger awareness of mental health. And I would say that in those early days, it certainly had an impact on my mental health, but I didn't understand what those things were, just knew that I had quite the the anxiety around pain I had no understanding of anxiety then how anxious it used to make me and how much I used to all those symptoms of anxiety that worry the constant racing thoughts about it all of those at the time I had no understanding of mental health and now that I'm a lot older and there's more awareness of that I look back and think wow I just had such severe anxiety when I was younger can you cure it or how do you manage it there is no cure So like everything, because it's so underfunded and under-researched there, first of all, we don't know what causes it. They're looking for genetic links because it very clearly runs in families. And I know that in my family, on my father's side, my aunt suffered with endometriosis. She was diagnosed. And my other aunt was only able to have one child, but she lived in rural Northern Ireland, so probably wasn't diagnosed. And I know my grandma also had fertility issues. So it's quite hard for them to go back because of this modern research so at the moment we don't know what causes it we think that might be genetics we think it might be environment we think it might be a combination of things and it's just an unknown but we do know that it's that whole diagnostic journey is terrible and once you get a gynecologist and you look forward at your treatment nothing good looks ahead of you because all you're going to have is constant surgeries interspersed with probably horrific hormone treatment and there is no cure having a hysterectomy is not a cure And I know that lots of um, gynecologists spout it as such. And I see less in Australia, thank goodness, but because the American system is so medicalised, it was in Facebook groups that were international and they're really keen to give young women hysterectomies and tout it as a cure. And it's not. So women in their very early 20s are having hysterectomies and, and because they're suffering so much. So when you have the surgery, what does the surgery do? So surgery can be different types of surgeries. And what they're trying to do is remove the endometrium tissue to stop it spreading. So in a way, I hate to use the comparison to cancer, but it's basically the same concept. We've got these cells that are meant to be there. So if we remove them, what we're going to do is give you some peace and remove some of your pain. So whenever I've had surgeries, and I've had many, the pain afterwards is diminished significantly. And you can get anywhere from three months to two years of good living (laughs) 
from that. So it does give you that relief. And again, we have different surgeons who've specialized in different surgical techniques that are proving to be more and more effective, but it's always done like an endoscopic surgery. So keyholes are not cutting your whole insides open. And what they're trying to do is remove all the endometrial tissue that's not supposed to be there. And this can be as easy or as extensive as your disease. So for someone like me, I've had several surgeries that have involved removal from my bowel and things like that, which become more complicated and have higher risk of things happening and going. Yeah, it, you have to really find yourself a good gynecologist and people are always looking for specialists. And uh, I know that there's a couple of amazing specialists in Melbourne that people will travel to be seen by them because they're really good at the kind of surgery that's very effective. How does it impact your fertility and the actual pregnancy if you get pregnant how does it impact you then so it's different for every single sufferer and it really depends on so a lot of it has to do with how soon you're diagnosed and how soon you're treated because of course the longer the disease is allowed to ravage your organs the worst state they're going to be in so for someone like me that took a long time to be diagnosed by the time I was diagnosed my left ovary was basically non-functioning because it had had just been so scarred up with endometrial tissue so it didn't function And some women will have no issue getting pregnant. Some women will struggle. And that's actually when they finally get a diagnosis is because they're unable to get pregnant. So it is highly linked to fertility because it exists on your organs that are to do with fertility and having a child. But everybody's journey is completely different. So I wouldn't want to say I I don't know the stats on fertility. I know that for my own journey I was told that I would never have children and I was told after I'd had my first son and I had more surgery between my sons that I would never carry because I I had so much scar tissue and my damage was so severe that I wouldn't be able to have a successful pregnancy so there are so many things that can impact it and everybody's journey is different and I'm mindful of what to say because if people are listening with endometriosis we're all looking for that glimmer of hope if you've been told you can't have children I was told that and then I went on to have children really um, quite easily and that's just luck. I feel like it wasn't anything to do with good management or anything like that. I had surgery reasonably close to before I started trying for my son. So I guess things maybe were looking good inside, but everyone has a different diagnosis and a different prospect of how it will impact. But there certainly is a high link between reduced fertility and endometrium. Does being pregnant reduce the pain because you're not got you're not menstruating? I know, again, it can be variable. For me, I definitely had a reduction in pain during pregnancy. I loved it. I think it's the best I ever felt in my adult life. I loved being pregnant. And then when I was breastfeeding, I was still very well. But as soon as I diminished my breastfeeding, my periods came back, the pain came back with a vengeance and it just feels like your body has let you down. It's like, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing and can you just work with me here? So it can be really hard and we can get that nice relief. But I have read that other women have had horrific pregnancies still marked with pain because just because you're not menstruating, you still have that tissue living outside your uterus that can still be misbehaving. So it's not a sort of surefire cure for your pain. <laughs> Why doesn't having, and this is possibly a technical question that you don't know the answer to, why doesn't having a hysterectomy stop the pain? I can answer that because that was my, oh, that's been my journey. So I feel quite confident. So I had a hysterectomy four years ago and I had basically everything removed except for my ovaries my uterus my fallopian tubes and my cervix were removed and the problem then exists for most women by the time you have a hysterectomy typically women have had multiple surgeries and so the problem with multiple surgeries is scar tissue and so the scar tissue now is one of my causes of my pain Um, and the other problem is that if they don't take your ovaries are just like the gas like the, the hormones that pour fuel on any endometrial tissue that exists 
So if you have a hysterectomy and they don't get all of the tissue out and there's just tiny little bits left, they can start growing again. And so you have to, again, have an amazing surgeon. So within three months of my hysterectomy, I was back in hospital in pain. So it was not anything that I hoped it would be. I was really heartbroken by that because oh, <laughs> it's a Albert. really, gru- it's a very grueling surgery. I'd say one of the hardest in terms of recovery. And I felt like this was going to be it. I was really excited and it just wasn't my, wasn't my journey at all. It's really to do with what organs you have taken out and how well they clean out your insides as to what you can expect your outcomes to be. So why didn't they take your ovaries if that's one of the causes? <laughs> a very contentious question between me and my gynecologist that was my wish to have my ovaries removed and again I feel like I'm a man hater I'm really not I'm happily married but my surgeon told me after my surgery his comment was that I had one of the worst insides he'd ever seen in his 30 years of surgery and that because the surgery went on for very long because he'd done such a great job of removing all my endometrial tissue so it was stuck to my bladder and my bowel and so he said oh everything's gone and so you're going to be really well and so I made he made the decision whilst in surgery to leave my ovaries because he felt at my age it is in your best interest in terms of the younger you are when you have your ovaries out the higher your risk of things like breast cancer the higher risk of that kind of medical menopause is very hard on your body so there are good reasons for it but they weren't what I had wanted and again it just didn't go how I thought it was going to go and so that then left me wide open for it to regrow because they hadn't cleared everything out yes I don't even want to go there I can imagine no. All right. yes it was very it was very upsetting and I think also one of the problems with this is that once you know more, the risk to a surgeon damaging something like your bladder is really high because they're they're using like laser and they're cutting things off. And so you don't have all the information when you go into a surgery. So after I was told that, because I'm terrified I'm going to have to live with a bag, that was one of my biggest fears that I would lose my bladder um, because it has been covered in endometriosis in the past. And so I would lose my bladder and live for the rest of my life with a bag, which is very, it's going to significantly change your life. And so I wouldn't have gone into that surgery had I known how extensive it was on my bladder, because there's such a risk of that going wrong. And you make decisions that are not well-informed decisions because not nobody has that information. They only have that information once they cut you open and can see what's going on. And that's super hard because then you've had a general anesthetic and they've made incisions into your abdomen. And so they don't want to keep doing that. They have to respond on the fly. And I know that when I lived in Sydney, my second surgery that I had, they had to make decisions as they were going because things unwrapped as they looked inside there that they weren't expecting to see. So you have to allow them some space to make decisions, but you also have to have your decisions honored as well so it is a it's a really hard thing and I was actually talking to my husband because when I was treated at the pelvic pain clinic it was actually one of the first times I actually felt a medical professional had listened to me and I said to my husband why is there not a doula for women who have to go and have these appointments who can advocate for what you want to say I don't believe that's in Sarah's best interest because when you go you're bombarded with information and you just leave there so overwhelmed and you almost always you're going to be booked in for surgery as soon as you're diagnosed because they want to try and give you a better quality of life. But there's so much going on in that appointment. You're often in there for like 20 minutes and you just go, none of that happened how I thought it would happen. And I didn't get to ask any of my questions. And if you are listening to this and you're in that position, I would strongly recommend that if you could take a support person, which they'll always allow you to do, it would be really helpful. Yeah, I agree about that. It's like when you get any big diagnosis and then they come at you, whether it's cancer or endometriosis or something like Mm -hmm. that, a life-changing diagnosis, you do need somebody to listen because you're in Mm -hmm. shock. You cannot possibly take all of that in. That's a really good idea about taking somebody, especially somebody who's familiar with 
the subject. Yeah. And I know that we now have more, we have more not-for-profit organizations coming up around endometriosis. We've got a really strong one, Endometriosis WA here in the West, and they do a lot in terms of advocacy. And I feel like you could probably approach them and say, I'm sure like someone like myself, I would so happily be a volunteer to go in as a support person with a woman having been through that journey and knowing what I wished I had. And I feel like that would be something that people would be willing to do. So I don't know, it's just an idea. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. So talk to me about the pelvic pain management clinics. What's Yes, I live in Perth in Western Australia and I've come to the end of the road in terms of I can't have more surgeries and because every surgery gives you more scar tissue, which causes its own nerve damage and pain. So you just, you're sort of reducing pain here and then increasing it there. So they, I'm at that point where they won't do any more surgeries. And so unfortunately it takes getting to that point for your GP to then refer you to the pelvic pain clinic and so most states in Australia have a pelvic pain clinic under the free Medicare system under public health and that clinic is phenomenal here in Perth they modeled the concept from the UK NHS and the concept is that treating women and pain should not be done in isolation with a gynecologist when you first go to a pelvic pain clinic you're seen by a panel of experts um, rather than one person And the panel of experts includes a gynecologist. It also includes a pain management specialist, a physiotherapist, an expert in pelvic pain, and also a psychologist who's an expert in pain. So you get seen by this team of people. And so all my surgeries, all my treatment, all my medical appointments, I would never have spent more than 30 minutes with anyone in, in my life. And my first appointment at the pelvic pain clinic, I was there for two and a half hours. And that is a standard appointment time. And It took me a while to realize when I was in the appointment, these people are actually listening to me. It was very emotional to actually be heard and for people to say, these are some options. You like, because they said to me, I could go back and have my ovaries out, but then there comes with other reasons you think you would like to do. And I I was so emotional that someone said that to me. It was really, it was a big moment because nobody ever asks you that. They said, this is what we think, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. And you're very much told. And um, whilst in some cases that was absolutely in my best interest, it would be nice to feel like you're part of that decision-making process. I've been in the pelvic pain clinic now for almost two years. And in that time, they treat you very much holistically. So they're looking at ongoing pain management but so coupled with that, seeing a psychologist on a regular basis, because there's lots of evidence to support the way in which you cope with pain is intrinsically linked to the way in which you cope with stress and your life and all those kind of things. So having access to that and also having access to a physiotherapist where they offer classes, specialist pain management, like yoga classes and things like that. So it's been this holistic approach to your health rather than just let's go cut your open or let's have more drugs. When before I had my last operation, my gynecologist here in uh, Queensland, she sent me on a persistent pain management program. And Mm. it was the same thing. We had this long meeting with all these experts, or I had this long meeting with all these Mm. experts. And I, same as you, I just burst into tears because Mm. they said, Oh, what's it like? I said, Well, I don't, I avoid doing this and I don't do that. And I just live with it. I just deal with it. And, but when I got the understanding, which I hadn't really had before, it was really, I felt so relieved. I think just that being heard is so important that feel like someone's listening to what you've got to say. Yeah. 
Um, I've got to apologise for the state of the recording here. <laughs> this is a massive lag. We're in the middle of a big storm at the moment and I don't think oh. my, my internet and electrical systems... Are... Everyone will have to bear with us because yeah. um, hopefully you're learning some juicy stuff. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not going to stop, but we'll just carry on. So Perfect. alternative therapies. Have you yes. looked at alternative therapies for this and how do they impact <laughs> you? Like, How many would you like me to talk about? <laughs> Because uh, I, I will say this, you don't go into eight surgeries lightly. It's not the it's not your first choice. And so quite early when I was undergoing, I think I was about 27, 20, I was undergoing hormone treatment, which is really severe hormone called Zolodex that mimics menopause and is actually one of the few non-surgical treatments that's been proven to reduce endometriosis, like reduce the spread of it. And so they use that pre-surgery. So I've had a couple of runs at that in my time. And when I was doing that, I had... Being so young, I was crippled with the um, side effects of that, of being in menopause at a young age. So that was when I first looked into alternative therapies was really to manage the manage the drugs that I was taking and the side effects. And then I started then seeing a naturopath and looking at my diet. And really, I was trying to look at how I could um, manage the things like super emotional and the night sweats and the hot flushes. So I looked at supplements and diet that would help that. And that was my first foray into it. After I'd had my second surgery and I was very ill. If I can just ask you to wrap it up, what do you have to say to anybody who thinks they might have endometriosis or who actually has been diagnosed with it okay gosh so I guess um, my first comment is for anybody who has any women in their lives which is most of us whether it's a partner or a daughter or a sibling one of the things I would encourage is to have open and honest conversations about our periods because really if, if the more we have frank conversations the more we understand what other people's normal are and when we're feeling not normal and one of the key things and it's actually my naturopath that said this to me is that if your period pain cannot be controlled with just regular over-the-counter medication, then that needs further investigation, okay? So it's as simple as that. And the further investigation, unfortunately, is usually your GP, but I feel like now they're a lot more open to this. And there are many diseases of which endometriosis is one of the most common that women can be afflicted with in their reproductive systems. And so I guess we're tasked with being the champion of our own health and saying, I feel like something's not right and I would like to talk to someone further and hoping that your GP then gives you those good referrals. And I guess for women that are suffering, I actually don't know what to say except for I feel you and I know your journey and I wish I could say that it gets easier. I am really in control of my pain now. I feel like I'm the, I think I said that's not even a word. I'm the most that I've ever been <laughs> um, because I'm being so well managed at the pain management clinic. And so I guess just to be kind to yourself is probably the best advice because I look back at how I've treated myself over the years and I'm so embarrassed and I feel like I was so hard on myself and pushed my body, which was exhausted and broken to the point where I broke it even more. And I wish that I hadn't done that. And I wish I'd been kinder and listened to what my body needed and rested, which I think is the, the thing we struggle with the most. I think it is, isn't it? We just put up with it because we oh no, I'll be okay in a day. I'll be okay tomorrow. And we just keep going. And then we look back and go, holy moly, I've been dealing with this worse and worse for months, years. Oh, yeah. And one of just really quickly, I actually collapsed when I was at work from pain and which is horrible. But the better question is, what was I doing at work? <laughs> 
because I would have gone to work that morning in pain and pushed through it to the point that happened, which was really traumatic for my co-workers. And I kind of look back and just think, you idiot, what were you doing? Did you feel like you had to prove something to people? Like, yeah, be kind to yourself. And just to finish off, how can people get in touch with you? Because I know you're pretty big online, aren't you? <laughs> That's my kids tell me that I'm a big deal online. I love that. I'm cool in their world. Yeah, so I do run my own company, Online Social Butterfly, and I'm pretty much in that digital marketing space. So if you look up Online Social Butterfly, you can find me everywhere online, I promise. And I really like working with women like myself to help them really grow in confidence to build their businesses using online tools. So I'd love to chat with anyone. And I'm always so happy to chat about Endo any day of the week fantastic thank you so much and just to fill everybody in we've had major problems with technology <laughs> today. At least i've had major problems with oh. technology and we've ended up having to come back to this meeting sarah's been good enough to give up some of her afternoon to complete this <laughs> because my computer died so much for your patience that was fantastic i really oh, thank it. you so much um i'm so thrilled to have been asked to speak with you and i'm really honored to that you felt like people wanted to hear my journey and i hope that it's resonated for people and that there's been something in it that's helpful for them Oh, I'm sure that I've just got goosebumps as you were talking then. Yeah, oh. I think this is really important. So thanks. So Thank much, you. Sarah. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.